follow our response, one verse of Silent Night. So hear the word of the Lord from the book of Isaiah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and a few selected verses from chapter 9. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he might teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. And the selected verses from chapter 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests on his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with righteous, with justice and with righteousness from this time onward forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Real quick, a couple thank yous. Uh, we've just got to thank, uh, we had our worship committee and 40 folks come together to uh, decorate the campus and the, so, the social, or the sanctuary, the whole campus uh, for Advent. And we are just so thankful. Um, and so uh, let's give everybody a round of applause for putting in that extra work, if you would do that for me. Thank you, everybody who came to do that. It's a fantastic thing to come and to, to prepare for the Lord and by preparing the sanctuary for worship. I want to thank everybody. I want to thank our, our music ministry, our choir and, and Judy and the others. They're putting in a lot of extra work to help our worship services be special during this season. And y'all are always doing a fantastic job. We thank you, Judy. We thank you as well for leading us in that. Uh, I just wanted to share that. And we have to thank, uh, I want to thank our ushers for putting in some extra work too. We really just have a lot of people who are really in love with the Lord and want to help our church to worship uh, in spirit and in truth. And I'm so thankful. Well, this Christmas Eve is going to mark the 200th anniversary of Silent Night. Did you know that? 200 years of Silent Night. Uh, On Christmas Eve, on 1818, 
there was an Austrian priest named Joseph Moore who had uh, kind of a harebrained idea. Preachers get these ideas every now and then. This is what he thought. He's got just a few hours before he's got to lead his midnight Christmas Eve service. So he doesn't decide to take a nap. He doesn't go over his sermon one more time. What he decides to do is he decides to write a brand new song right there. So he's got this old poem in a folder that he's written. It's called Stille Nacht. That's German for Silent Night. I learned that just for you. Thank you, Rosetta Stone. Silent Night. He had written this a few years ago. And he wanted to come up with a tune and a melody. So lucky for him, uh, a few villages over, a few kilometers down the road, for they use imperial measurements in Austria, uh, was a man named Franz Gruber. He was a school teacher, but he played the organ on the side. He thought, I got an idea. Franz Gruber will have a wonderful melody for Stille Nacht, Silent Night. So he walked on over, and there, with, in just a short period of time, it all came together. The words that we love, the melody that we know by heart, Silent Night was born and ready to be sung at the midnight service in that small Austrian village congregation. I want to wish I could have been in that room when uh, Gruber and Moore were together. That was an inspired moment. You know, every now and then the right thing happens at the right time. The words of that song powerfully proclaim just what it means that Christ has come at Christmas. It's beautiful, simple language. But that melody, I mean, I've known it since I was a child. Many of you were singing it by heart uh, without even looking at the notes in the book. It's like this lullaby melody that transports us back to the manger there uh, where Jesus was born. It's a beautiful piece of music. Silent night. It's loved by lots and lots of people. It's loved by lifetime churchgoers and people who would never darken the door of a church sanctuary. Silent Night, once an old poem written in German, has become an instrument for sharing the gospel across languages and time and cultures. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. Well, not too long ago in the scheme of history, the world saw the power of Silent Night's proclamation at work. It was on Christmas Eve in 1914, nearly a hundred years after the song debuted in a small Austrian church. 1914, five months into the battles of World War I. You had, along the western front of that battle, you had English troops and German troops hunkered down in trenches, battling not just each other, but what turned out to be a horribly cold and wet December. In between them was no man's land, and they were stuck in the trenches, filling up with water, filling up with mud. They had exchanged fire, they had shed blood, and now they're waiting. But on Christmas Eve, something very strange happened to the people on the Western Front. One German army officer recalls it this way. On Christmas Eve, at noon, fire ceased completely on both sides. Another soldier recalls this. He said, we heard the Germans singing Silent Night, he adds, in German, naturally. And there were all sorts of Christmas greetings being shouted across no man's land to us. And not just there, but all over. Spontaneously, with no organization, nobody sent a fax or an email, because they didn't have fax or email. It just spontaneously occurred all up and down the Western Front, 
There was a ceasefire. Battle stopped. And it got, it's interesting. You had soldiers on both sides. They would gather up whatever plants they could find from their trench and, and make these makeshift Christmas trees, and they stuck them on top of the barricades of their trenches. I mean, y'all, this is wartime. And they've got Christmas trees going up. They had soldiers that would take candles and light them and stick them on the end of their bayonets and wave them as they sung Christmas carols across no man's land to the enemy across the way. You had German soldiers not knowing much English and English soldiers not knowing much German sketching out little signs that would say things like, you no shoot, we no shoot, Merry Christmas. And little by little, they got a little more courage in various spots, and they stepped out of their trenches into the land that was called No Man's Land. And they would exchange Christmas greetings and exchange gifts. One American soldier remembers um, asking for a button off of a German officer coat because he collected those kind of things. And he wrote a letter to his mother about it. They exchanged some other things and uh, even played a game of English football. Soccer. They played soccer. Right, can you believe this? No Man's Land. Two opposing armies playing sports together. The Christmas truce of 1914. For one night, those soldiers knew what it meant to sleep in heavenly peace. But just for one night. That war would rage on until 1918, followed by another, and then another, and another. But for one night, for one night on one Christmas Eve, those soldiers knew what it meant to sleep in heavenly peace. The story of that Christmas truce has become legendary. They've written children's books about it. It's been on TV. They've made movies. They've written books. And for uh, I'm going to do this, uh, Evan and Melissa, uh, you're the only ones who probably are with me on this one. There's an episode of Doctor Who, a Christmas special, that talks about uh, and shows the Christmas truce. Thank you for being with me. Thank you. Thank you. Why is it so legendary? I think it's because it shows us a glimpse of a huge, deep, longing in our souls. Peace. And my gosh, it was possible even if just for a night. The world needs peace. You know, H.G. Wells, in addition to writing some uh, great books and stories, also said this of World War I. He said, this will be the war to end all wars. With the idea being the destruction was so massive that maybe finally people would wake up and nations would stop using warfare to settle their disputes. And then came World War II. And they said of World War II, no, no, this will be the war to end all wars. And they were wrong both times. Conflict rages on. It doesn't take uh, much Uh, watching and reading to understand that there is conflict all over the world. Nations threaten to attack each other. And and, an interesting and horrifying fact is that the nations of the world possess enough firepower to destroy the earth multiple times over. And you wonder why the levels of anxiety have risen among the people in the world. Since the middle of the 1900s, that threat has been just this bleak shadow that's led to changes in the world's psychology and nature. 
our own nat- nation is is besieged by violence and our communities are uh, and we as a, a, a nation in the United States face just this strange deep tension and division over ideas and ideology and we're seeing even our own friends just running from side to side to to entrench themselves with their tribes and and we we can't even be friends with our friends anymore because they said certain things or believe certain things and they can't be friends with us we fight over words we fight over facebook posts we fight over yard signs and billboards it's almost to the point now it's if you don't agree with me 100% you're my enemy and you must be destroyed we need peace and it would be naive of us and a little bit of a lie if we just sat here and said, oh yeah, that world out mess, isn't it? Whoo, they need peace over there, they need peace over there, and they need peace over there. But we need peace too. I need peace. I need peace in my own heart. I need peace in my own relationships. Do you all know what I mean? There are some of you in here, you love the holidays, but you are dreading what's going to happen when your family finally gets back together. We laugh because it's true. (laughs) There are some of you that are glad to be here, but you've got a little bit of a, a bubble around you because you're worried that somebody knows the tension that really exists at your home or the conflicts that y'all are really experiencing in your marriage. We need some peace. And it might have been that you decided a long time ago, 30 years ago, we're not even going to fight about it. We're just going to go along to get along. And we, we're here. We're still hanging in there. But you know just as well as I do that just because we're not fighting doesn't mean we're forgiven. Just because we're not tearing each other apart doesn't mean we're building each other up. We need some peace. Don't worry too much. You're not the only one. I'll promise you that. And, and maybe we need it inside. You feel that struggle sometimes. That even... For just a moment of peace, you can't find it. Your mind is going, your heart is going. You know this is supposed to be a holly jolly season, but you just can't get there. You're trying, and maybe you're starting to get mad at everybody trying to make you feel happy because you're not. You're sad. You're afraid. Might even be a little insecure, and it, it happens to us. We have conflict within ourselves. We need some peace. Sometimes that conflict, we try our best, or maybe we just give into it, that inner conflict, and it starts to affect who we are in our relationships, and we start to become hardened, and we become bitter and cynical. Maybe we, we start to just exist with sarcasm and unforgiveness. You know, I used to think that sarcasm was a spiritual gift because I was real good at it, and I still am. Uh, I have been told, and I used to think this was great, and now I'm really ashamed of it. I've been told, Jim, did you know that you can make somebody cry using only your words? And I used to be like, yeah, I can. And now I'm like, how horrifying is that? That in my heart is such that, oh, sarcasm would tear things apart. We can be angry. We can just yearn to overpower and take control because we have conflict in us. What we wouldn't give for some heavenly peace, even just for one night, just one night, just one, give me a day of heavenly peace. In the time of the prophet Isaiah, whose words we read at the beginning of our message today, the people of Israel longed for peace. This ain't nothing new, y'all. 
We think we got it figured out. We think we're, we got iPhones and they didn't. We got it figured out. But the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. And they long for peace just like we did because their world was dangerous and there was divisions that could lead to injury and death. And it was horrible for them. Isaiah says they walked in darkness. But God gives Isaiah a vision and a promise for what the world can be with God. It's a world at peace. And if you look through the way that Isaiah describes this world, he says that the highest thing in the world will be the Lord's temple, the mountain of God. And the nations will not fight against each other and entrench in different places in the world. They'll actually come together to the Lord's house. Do you imagine that? They come together to the Lord's house. And they don't even just do that begrudgingly and say, I got my photo op. They say, come, let's go to the Lord. Let's learn to walk in his ways together. Could you imagine that? That's what Isaiah says in chapter 2. And then he says, it's such a provocative image to me. He says, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. Get this? The sword that they use to fight becomes a plow to tend the earth. And their spears into pruning hooks. This is the vision that God has, that that the world would no longer pick up weapons of violence, but that we would turn those into things that we can use to productively tend to the earth and to one another. Oh gosh, what would that be like? A world like that. A world where we don't have to wake up and wonder if somebody has been the victim of violence. A world where we don't have to worry about who's got the next nuclear weapon world. Gosh, what about this when you don't have to worry that your spouse's words will just cut you deep. A world where you don't have to walk on eggshells because you're afraid of your friend's emotional explosion. We'll be at peace. This is what God envisions, a world where you don't have your sleep stolen by scouts of anxiety and shouts of you're not good enough and you ain't got it together. Oh, what a world that will be heavenly peace. I think Silent Night's got it right because Silent Night says sleep in heavenly peace. And I think that's the right idea, heavenly peace, because we've been trying plain old peace and it's not working very well. We have tried uh, arguing our way over things. We have tried settling our disputes with fisticuffs and violence both around the world and even in our own lives. We've tried avoiding it. We've tried paying it off. We've tried overpowering it. We've tried everything, and it doesn't seem to be working, does it? Oh, we need something else. We, we can probably keep our fights at bay for a second or two, but there's something within our nature that just, it's divided. And so anything we try to do to bring peace into our lives, into our world, it just it doesn't seem to work. We need something from the outside. We need God. Heavenly, heavenly peace. That's what the season's all about. Heavenly peace. It's more than trees or presents. It's about God coming down into this world. Bringing down from heaven what we need. And this is what Isaiah describes. God doesn't come uh, to work in the same way we do. He's not going to argue. He's not going to fight. He's not going to destroy. He comes and brings peace through new birth. For a son has been given to us. That's how God brings peace. That's how God brings peace. And he shall be called, among other things, the Prince of Peace. And there shall be endless peace. That's what the season is all about. We know that Christ has come at Christmas. 
He was born on that silent night, bringing to the world the peace that, that, that only God can bring because God has come into this world with flesh on. And we know that Jesus will come again to fulfill the fullness of that vision he gave to Isaiah. And we long for that day. We pray. It's in, it's in all of our old Christian language. Come, Lord Jesus, come. But in between now and then, now, remember, don't ever forget that God is still at work. Christ is at work in his people, and he is at work in you. You, because Christ has come, can be at peace today. You can be at peace today today. Philippians describes it this way. He says, be anxious, do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and supplication and by, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God and get this, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will guard you. You can have peace. And not only can you have peace, but you can make peace and you might think, my goodness, how in the world with the world as crazy it is, it is, it is can I make peace? I, I'm not a diplomat. I'm not powerful. I ain't got enough money. I don't got enough. I can't even. But you can make peace. Just think about the Christmas truce of 1914. Y'all stay awake with me here. Is it getting hot in here to y'all? It is to me. Here, let's go. Just think about the Christmas truce of 1914. In the heat of warfare, massive destruction, The cold, bitter elements, fire on both sides. One man stops and sings, Silent Night. One more man puts down his gun and says, Merry Christmas. And along and along it spreads, and they brought peace to the people on the uh, Western Front, and they've given the world an image of peace because of one person's courageous move. Wouldn't it be amazing if for just one person, just for even for a moment, if we could bring that kind of peace into their life? Wouldn't that be worth anything we could do? So let Jesus be born afresh in you and courageously step into your circle of influence and show people what Jesus can do in this world. I think it's interesting that Silent Night ends uh, by repeating itself in each verse. I know it's poetic and it's music and it's supposed to, but sleep in heavenly peace. And then again, sleep in heavenly peace. Maybe it's to describe just the kind of peace that Mary and baby Jesus had that first time, but I wonder if it's maybe like this. Uh, All is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin mother and child. Now that doesn't mean she's a round mother. It means around. All is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin mother and child. Sleep in heavenly peace. And all you who sing this song, you can sleep in heavenly peace. Because Christ has been born, all of you who hear this can sleep in heavenly peace. And may it be so in your life and in the world. Amen. Amen. And we're going to come to the table of the Lord to make peace with him and with one another and to receive him in our own.